Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to a Back to Jerusalem live podcast. This is going to be a little bit off of the beaten path. We didn't actually plan this one. This is just one of the podcasts that I'm going to do anyway. I'm about ready to call a good friend of mine and he's going to join us on the program. He is a retired fire chief and he's been working as a missionary. I'm just going to try to get him online. But today's subject is going to be about the rise of communism in the Christian world. This is a big deal for us inside of China because this is, we live under the umbrella of a communist dictatorship. Um, And we work a lot in countries like North Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, that are also under this same kind of communism uh, umbrella. Here's the thing, in the 1990s, I believe that most people felt that with the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of the Soviet Union, that everybody could basically say, we won, you lost. We can see that atheism as it pertains to communism or communism as it pertains to atheism, however you want to look at it, has failed and the Christian Western values triumphed. And yet here we are just 30 years later looking at a situation where there's a serious rise in communism in Christian nations. And let me try to just give my my friend here a phone call. Hopefully he answers. He It's early morning for him in um, the mountainous region of the United States. I think for the purposes of this, let me see here. He said he had me blocked. Good morning. Hey, good morning, brother. Did you have me blocked? Well, um, I was just practicing my football <laughs> tactics. Yeah, I think and so. I forgot to, I I forgot c- to uh, disengage your number. Okay. Okay, so you had me you had me blocked because we're not real friends, but because you're on the podcast, you unblocked me for that purpose. No, we are very real friends. <laughs> All right, because cool. Share, so glad you our, answered. I thought you were going to leave me hanging. You, you know, we bear not only our souls, but our butts sometimes. <laughs> we have. <laughs> we have, brother. Hey, um, I'm so glad you're with us. I know that uh, you don't like to use your real name. What do you want me to call you when I, while we're talking? Scott. Scott. Okay, Scott. Luke. Scott. It Husband is. Of the infamous Anna. Okay. <laughs> it is great to have you on the podcast with us, brother. Um, I'm I'm ready to dive in and get to the subject that you and I started talking about kind of just a little bit, uh, chatting back and forth through messages on Facebook. But I I wanted to just quickly allow you to introduce yourself to the audience that may not know who you are. Okay. Go for it. Oh, yeah. Well, I am Scott Luke, and 
I have been friends with Eugene and the Back to Jerusalem uh, people for, gosh, it's getting so long, I don't remember. <laughs> but we enjoy it, and we love the, the people and what we're trying to do to um, spread the gospel. But anyways, a little bit about myself. I am a retired fire service professional, and uh, so I'm, I'm used to the action. Um, but since retirement, actually before that, we've always been serving the Lord, but since retirement, um, we relocated to the great state of Idaho, and we've been working um, together with my wife and I with the refugee community, New Americans, and um, also after um, some uh, pretty violent incidences against minority groups in the Mideast, we... Um, yeah, our first trip there was compliments of Eugene and back to Jerusalem in 2016. And ever since then, our world's been turned upside down. And uh, we are um, still serving there. Last last year, we spent eight out of 12 months in um, the Mideast um, ministering and spreading the gospel to those who have suffered so greatly. And uh, we continue to do so temporarily from the U.S., and um yeah so here we are today awesome brother well it's great to have you on here um usually i don't do these podcasts live i've been doing it more and more often just because it's great to kind of have the interaction of our audience when we do do it live but for those that are listening live to this podcast we are putting up a new video on youtube every single week several videos Feel free to come on, join us, follow us. The more followers that we have on YouTube, the more audience we are able to reach. So please click the like button uh, and, and follow us on YouTube. Uh, and you can watch this live on backtojerusalem.com forward slash live as well. And uh, I just did a Saturday morning uh, podcast where we usually do a Saturday morning call-in show where we allow people from around the world to call into our show, ask questions, file complaints, whatever. But I actually didn't take calls this Saturday because I had the Bishop Anthony Williams on here together with me. He's been my pastor for the last 25 years. You've met him. You know him. And uh, you wrote to me right after that interview where he and I were talking and you were saying, hey, we have been seeing a rise of communism here in the West. And I thought that this would be a great opportunity for just the two of us to sit down, kind of a coffee room chat, and, and talk about what it is that we're seeing, because this, this is a big deal for me. I mean, we have been uh, working in communist countries for a while. I've seen the devastation that communist countries bring to a nation, to their people, the destitution that is uh, created by uh, communism. I know that communism sells you the idea that it is equal distribution of uh, wealth to everybody but it's probably the greatest creator of misery of anything I've ever seen. And the reason why is not because of its political uh, focus, but because of its, atheism, its atheistic stance. This is so important that I'm not attacking communism because I feel that it is the wrong way for a government to operate. I'm speaking out against communism because every communist country in the world that has ever existed, 
adopts the ideology of communism and not just adopts it for their political servants, or if you want to call them servants, you can also call them, I would refer them as tyrants, but not only for their political class, but for everybody, it is a requirement that you abandon your faith and adopt the ideas of evolution and atheism. So, uh, brother, thank you so much for joining us. And when you were listening to the podcast where, you know, Bishop Anthony and I were talking, what, what kind of popped up in your mind that, that, rem- that made you write and say, you know, we are seeing a rise of uh, communism and, and activity and you're seeing tactics employed. Um, can you just expand on that a little bit? Oh, my goodness. Um, first of all, it was a phenomenal, one of the best ever podcasts, and certainly timely for what our country is going through right now, and actually the world. Um, yeah, you know, when you hear what's going on... Uh, by the way, I'm um, just going to stop you for just one second. Did you hear the follow-up sermon? Do you follow Bishop Williams on, on Facebook at all? I personally don't do Facebook, but my lovely spouse of 26 years does, and she just started following him, but I will... I will definitely uh, listen to that. Okay, yeah, if you get a chance. So I don't know if, so at the end of our podcast on Saturday, um, I had just mentioned Black Lives Matter because I wanted to get his take on it. And of course, he responded with All Lives Matter. Um, but I asked him about the organization. Do you know about the organization? He came up to right. speed quickly. He must have went on some overnight fasting kind of research down in his basement. I don't know, because on that Sunday morning, this is one of the reasons I absolutely love Bishop Williams, is that he will come out with the truth regardless of which side you fall on. And uh, and and he shot straight. And so he, he basically shared for his Sunday morning service the dangers of the organization Black Lives Matter. And so if you get a chance to listen to his sermon, I would highly recommend it because he lifts up the hood and looks underneath what this organization is about. And when you see what the organization is about, you will find why there is so much toil and turmoil on the streets. So, yeah, go ahead, brother. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, are you familiar with Saul Alinsky? I am. I'm very familiar with his writings. Yeah, so he... He has eight steps to topple a nation and create a socialist state. Um, anyway, I, I looked it up, and um, here's what he says. Okay, I'll go over this real quick because you asked what popped up, and so many did out of all this. Number one, health care. Control health care, and you control the people. Poverty. Increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control it will not fight back if you're providing everything for them to live. I believe that's what's going on, especially amongst uh, so many of our black community members in the U.S. Uh, the debt, increased debt to an unsustain- unsustainable level. That way you're able to increase taxes and will produce more poverty. Isn't that crazy? Gun control, remove the ability to defend themselves from the government. That way you're able to create a police state. Um, look at this move right now to disband and, and defund police departments. It's crazy. Um, welfare, take control of every aspect of their lives, food, housing, income, 
education, take control of what people read and listen to, take control of what the children learn in school. Religion, you already mentioned this, brother, remove the belief in God from the government and schools. And lastly, and this is what we're seeing right now, um, divide class warfare, divide the people into wealthy and the poor. This will cause more discontent, and it'll be easier to take uh, or tax the wealthy with the support of the poor. Oh my gosh, when I read that, it's like that just defines what's going on in this country right now. Yeah, it's one of one of the things that um, I one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because you you kind of have your your finger on the pulse when it comes to you know social developments. You worked as a public servant for how many years? Thirty years. At thirty it, years for a, for a pretty multiple prominent years in the military, but. multiple years in the military. Thank you for your service. Uh, multiple Thank years you, in the military, and uh, and you served in a pretty large, multi ethnic city in Southern California as well. I mean, so you kind of all you. So not, you yeah, I, I actually served in the largest county in the entire United States. It's bigger than the state of Rhode Island. Very diverse geographically, um, socioeconomically, and yeah, definitely in the population. Very ethnical, um, definitely. Yeah, and so uh, when you say that you're seeing, you know, uh, the employment of communist tactics, um, are you seeing them at all? Do you you feel that you're seeing them at all in the protests? Oh, definitely. It's definitely um, what what really gets me, and it's not just this protest. I've seen it before in recent times. Even locally, we had uh, just like two, I think two years ago, we had... I don't even remember what stirred it up, but they were encouraging high school students to come out and protest. But they really didn't know what they were protesting about. It was simply celebrating the fact that they can protest. And it just just really revealed to me the depths of ignorance, yet you're seeing um, the very uh, basic steps that Alinsky and others um, have, have uh, instituted over the decades of uh, taking over education. We, we're this education system in the United States is definitely brainwashing our children, and has been for decades. And um, you see it right now, currently with the current protest. You know, there, there's really what are you protesting about? Um, and I don't. What happened in Minneapolis was who doesn't disagree? There was uh, you know a death, tragic death occurred, you know, and, and the fact that it was at the hands of police who we should be able to trust. They like, everybody, is, everybody admits there's bad police, but very few of them, but, you know, those will be rooted out and they will be treated, you know, appropriately through our justice system. But when you even look at now, uh, when they interview people, even we have a local friend um, that we we uh, saw their uh, young adult son at online uh, at one of the local protests. So we called the parents, let them know, because we were just worried if things did get out of hand, that you know there would, could be possibly some violence. Thank God there wasn't. But anyways, he just he told his folks, "I just came out because it was fun." <laughs> so, you know, I know I that I that. I know that for you and your family, you guys constantly you're like this hub. Your home is like a hub for refugees. So you, even within your home, you know, you served in a multi-ethnic city in Southern California, the largest county in the entire United States, as, as you just pointed out. Uh, but your home is also this hub. 
where refugees from around the world, from different religions, different ethnic groups, different backgrounds come and find peace and love and comfort in you, in your home. Can you share a little bit just about, you know, the, what you and your wife do as a, as a regular ministry for, for serving the refugee community? Absolutely. You know, you know, it goes beyond the refugee community, Eugene, for as long as, I mean, honestly, we've always had an open door to help people, but since we've uh, been in Idaho now, nine years, um, we've just, we wanted to, our house to be a lighthouse. And I don't want to use the word community. I want to say neighborhood because it's our neighbors right next door across the street. And we've been doing that. And that's, and it's just, it's just amazing. But anyways, I'll speed up. Yeah. We started um, hosting some uh, refugees. Uh, our first refugee was actually a pastor from uh, a Mideast country that uh, has suffered persecution for such a long time. And uh, it was such a relief for him, but we learned a lot from him. And then we need, um, after that, we had a Pakistani man live with us for a couple months as he transitioned. Anyways, we, we relocated into the heart of uh, um, the capital city here to, because that's where the concentration of refugees are. Next thing we knew, um, you know, our largest, in our community, the largest population of refugees is from the, um, their from Tanzania, but they're technically Congolese because that's where they escaped from into Tanzania. So it's funny because uh, here we are, Caucasian people, and um, yeah, there there are especially in the summer we'll have dozens of bikes all over the front and backyards, and and we'll have quite a few um, African uh, young men and women staying with us and and just hanging out. And um, but yeah, we've we've helped out everywhere from. Um, going to school programs, soccer games, helping um, the, a lot of single moms with, uh, with medical stuff and taking them to helping them with paperwork um, for the government and you name it, uh, and just being their friends. Um, we, we started off taking a lot of kids to our local church. We started off with one car, then two, and then um, at the time we had three because our daughter was with us. So we would make rounds in all three cars, picking up um, uh, mostly African kids, but um, some from the Mideast, other countries. But um, thank God, eventually, the church and another uh, Christian organization we work with um, allowed us to use their vans, you know, the big oversized vans. So we were busting <laughs> quite a lot of kids to church services, and, and we have a great children's program for them, and it was awesome. Um, yeah, so... And just feeding the kids. We always have a stock of chicken nuggets and corn dogs and hot dogs. They love them. <laughs> the essentials. Oh, the, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and it's so funny, brother, because what disturbs me with the media um, going on my soapbox for just a couple of seconds is they always want to show the bad stories, you know. And yet no one has showed up. We don't, we're not tooting our own horn. We do things humbly for the Lord. And we generally love these kids. They're not projects, they're people. And we just love on them, their families. And, um, you know, but the media doesn't even know our story. They don't, I don't even know if they care, would even publish anything. Um, the mainstream media has been hijacked. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, they want to 
create a narrative and maintain that, and they ignore the truth of, and we're not the only ones, um, by the way, but, you know, just our story alone. And, um, you know, one of the most heartening and disheartening things that happened to me was um, I had all these uh, kids over, and uh, um, and it was just so, uh, te- it was a tender moment. It made me cry. But a little girl looks up to me as she's sitting in my lap, and she says, Scott, Will you be? Will you be my daddy? Aww. Oh my gosh! Broke my heart, but man, broke my heart at the same time. A lot of these kids, they um, uh, they don't have dads, or their their dads. Um, we found out it's very common amongst um, some African folks is that they have two wives. So they have their second wife with their children here, and then their first wife is in another country. And they go between. And um, but anyway, so and some of the fathers are are either uh, dead or divorced, so they don't have dads. And then culturally, a lot of not all, but a lot of dads, and we find in some of the many of the Mid Eastern countries, actually are present, but they're they don't engage with their children. And um, yeah, so we, especially me, you, I, I just which is a blessing because I see the. Not to, I mean, I, I was very close to my own mother, and I'm, I just, you know, hands down, moms are essential and wonderful. Um, but just the role of a father in the family unit, and uh, yeah, so just to have these these children, and uh, I mentor them. This past week alone, we had uh, three different uh, young men, teenage boys from Africa, and um, yeah, you just everything from just being with them, playing games, feeding them laughing, uh, to, uh, um, Bible study. So it's, it's just been so exciting. It does disturb me. breaks my heart that the media doesn't look at all the good that's going on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it, it's not in the media's interest right now to discuss the good things that are going on unless it is a part of their agenda. And I know I'm, I'm being a little, maybe a, a little bit too direct in the way that I can't, when I use the word media, I understand I'm using a broad brush, okay? Forgive me for that. Not everybody is a part of this broad brush. And it's very easy to demonize the, the media um, and, and not take responsibility ourselves. I also understand that. But when you are saying that the, the, it doesn't seem like the media really wants to cover these good stories, I absolutely agree. Let me, let me just read something as we were talking about um, with the, the, the rise of violence that we're seeing in the streets as you, know, you saw somebody that you knew at a protest and wanted to contact their parents just to let them know because it's, becoming, it's getting more and more dangerous as we're seeing. And I don't know if you saw the news. I mean, you, it's pretty early where you're at this morning. But uh, if you read the news, you'll see that Minneapolis has decided to basically break up their police department and, and uh, other cities like Chicago are, are talking about possibly taking those same steps where they would dismantle the police department and look to the communities to police themselves. And so it'd be a community effort. Let me, let me just read something from history from China that uh, I, I wrote this morning uh, that I think that might have a little bit of insight in what we are seeing in the Western nations. Because even if you're listening from another nation that is not America, let me tell you that it's only a matter of time if you are living in a Christian 
foundation Western society, it's only a matter of time before you start to see this kind of activity because this really did kind of kick up in the universities. The, the university professors, the university staff, they have um, made deposits into these young people and shaped what we are seeing play out on the streets today. Now, um, this is what I wrote. I called it the day the police were no longer needed. On August 19, 1966, students launched a fight for social justice to fight for the rights of the oppressed in China. The patriarch system in China had been created by the 1% and held down women, minorities, and the working class. The, the college students cried out for a revolution and for change. They launched the cultural revolution. Students put on a red band on their arm to stand in solidarity with the oppressed. And they called for a change on old ideas and they called those old ideas the four olds. The four olds were old customs, old culture, old habits, and old ideas. They were never fully outlined, but they were just kind of out there in the stratosphere for you to understand. The movement was supported by the Chinese media. Mass demonstrations and looting by the students quickly ensued. Statues were torn down. Chinese architecture was destroyed. Classical literature and Chinese paintings were torn apart and burned. Temples were desecrated. The cemetery of Confucius was attacked. The corpse, the dead body of a 76th generation Duke Yan Shang, which was a general, was removed from his grave and hung naked from a tree. Wealthy homes were attacked and destroyed. Many families' long-kept genealogy books burned to ashes. Public leaders who were considered to be oppressive were tried by angry mobs and vigilantes. Three days later, August 22nd, 1966, a central directive was directly issued to stop any police intervention. The police were disbanded in the city and the students formed a solution called Red Guards. The Red Guards, were pol they policed the communities and they punished anyone who did not agree with their ideas. They even, even people that supported their movement but had bad thoughts could be punished. Though many Christians supported the movement in the beginning, they quickly became the number one target of the Red Guards and public trials were held to condemn them to death. Many of those that were on board with the cause of the rebellion in the beginning saw that it was not really what they had signed up for, but by then... It was too late. The power that the Red Guard wanted had already been given. More people died during the Cultural Revolution in China than any war, any famine, or any natural disaster in the history of mankind. After hearing that, what are your thoughts? Oh, it's funny because I've been doing a lot of study over the weekend. Um, and this is repeated in uh, Russia and other... Uh, if you go to... Um, there's a great... Well, there's many, but I just looked at um, this weekend. I found... A, um, and this guy is a historian, but he's got the communist body count to just under 150 million people killed by communists. No way. No way. 
Yeah. That that number has too. to be greatly underreported. The reason I say that yeah. is that there were at least huh. 70 million people that died inside of China. At least 70 million people that died under Mao Zedong. 40 million that died during the Cultural Revolution that I just mentioned. Over 100 million, at least over 100 million in Russia. So, I mean, that yeah. I, it has to be higher than that. It, and Because we haven't even talked about Pol Pot. We haven't even talked about the killing fields of Cambodia. We haven't talked about... Uh, uh, when the North finally took over the South in Vietnam, we haven't talked about the moving inside of Laos. We haven't talked about the millions that died also, or at least hundreds of thousands that died in Ethiopia. Uh, we haven't talked about the gulags that are taking place today in North Korea. We haven't talked about the overthrow uh, in Cuba. We haven't talked about the people that have died in Venezuela or the movement inside of South America. Dude, these numbers are astronomical when it comes to the number of people yeah. that have that have died. So, um, in my, in, you know that I did a, a a study where I went through church history, the the greatest revivals that have taken place from Acts chapter one all the way up to today, twenty twenty. And one of the things that I found is that societies really do fall within a certain hierarchy. And I love what Ravi, the late Ravi Zacharias said, all people are equal, but not all ideas are equal. Some ideas are just plain bad ideas and get people killed. But if you look at the, the nations that are the most free, the, the most they have the most breakthroughs, whether it's medicine or um, IT or whatever. At the top, you basically have this top of the echelon that is Protestant Christian countries and Jewish countries. And there's only one Jewish country, but they're at the very top. From there, you start to move down into the, 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 the nations that follow Catholicism. That is the second ring. They're not as good as the Protestant nations when it comes to you know, uh, creativity and wealth and, and uh, breakthrough, scientific breakthroughs or human rights or animals' rights. Uh, you don't have as, as, as good, but they're better than others. From there, you move on down into the Hindu-Buddhist nations. It, they're not as good as the other nations, but they're not as bad as others. And then from there, you move down to the next level where the misery index increases, which are the Muslim nations. The Muslim nations, there you start to get into really bad poverty, really backwards uh, universities, uh, a complete disregard of human rights or animal rights. And then at the very bottom, the, the very bottom, the, the, the places where you have the worst abuses in the history of mankind. And those are atheist nations that were brought about by communism. Yeah, they're, I mean, the, the worst. Well, one of our worst was a guy named uh, Adolf Hitler that, that uh, brought up the Nazi uh, regime. Um, you know his big tactic to win over the public, Eugene? And this is from Mein Kampf, his book. The great masses of the people will more easily fall victim to a big lie than a small one. I recently uh, reread uh, the book, How Do You Kill 11 Million People by Andy Andrews. I highly recommend it. It's like a, if you're a fast reader, five minutes, but probably a slow reader, definitely uh, 20 minutes. But that's the basic premise of his book, too. 
um, and he focuses on Nazi Germany, um, they killed many more than 11 people because that's only the ones that they actually exterminated. And, of course, roughly 6 million of them were Jewish descent. Um, but they also killed gypsies, Catholics, Christian leaders, blacks, Freemason, homosexuals, uh, you name it, the list goes on. Um, how many, what percent of, of uh, Germany was um, members of the Nazi party? Do you know? I don't. During World War only 10%. 8 million out of 80 million belong to the Nazi party. And what um, Andy brings out in his book that's interesting about the United States, brother, is he gets, really, when you think about it, he has it down to 540 human beings control us. I think we have like 330 million now in America. It's one president, nine Supreme Court justices, 100 senators, and 435 representatives, if you think about it. Uh, and that's at the federal level. So um, it's just 545 people that really have the power in this nation. And uh, it's, he, he brings, he goes into great depth about why truth really matters, especially now. Um, he says that if we lie, it's a felony. If they lie, it's considered politics. Mm. <laughs> I think it, but it goes along with what, uh, again, you know, how do you, how do you win over and change a, uh, a once, um, I think we're once a, basically a Christian nation to a socialist, anti-non-believing um, nation. So you tell the biggest lie over and over again, and they will believe it. And again, that's where, you know, I was watching last night um, some very, very uh, knowledgeable, again, the media, the mainstream media certainly doesn't want to interview these folks, but these are uh, men of, um, um, I, honestly, I don't know if if they're African descent, but I, sorry, I just call them black men, but if African Americans politically correct, that's fine. Um, they use the same term for themselves, black men. But anyway, they just really unveil that, uh, that's exactly what's going on in especially the black community, that just the lies that are perpetrated um, from the politically uh, elite and that have infiltrated their, their, um, their people group. And it's just really sad, just the lies, and they fall for it. But that's how you, you get the control of, of the people. In his book, he, um, Andy brings up the fact um, of how do they get these six million uh, Jewish um, citizens to get on the trains and go to these various camps. Um, and he claims, and he's done a lot of research, and he, he, he documents where it came from, but it wasn't through a, a large use of force. It was actually um, by lying to the Jewish community in general and their leaders. And um, they were, for example, they were told, hey, get on these trains, uh, the Russians are coming, from the east, and we need to get you, you know, the Russians hate you, so get on these trains, and we'll take you to these camps that, that'll be safe for you. And then they got on, of course, they were packed in there like crazy, and, um, but that's how they, they got them to go to the camps, get on the trains and go to the camps so willingly. And if you really think about it, even if there were, you know, German soldiers there, when you're talking uh, thousands of thousands of Jewish people being forced on these trains at one time, I think, uh, you know, if they really knew what was going to happen to them, they would have rushed the Germans and, and soldiers and, um, you know, taken their arms and fought back. 
So if you really think about it, it really backs up what uh, Andy Andrews uh, claims actually happened. So it's just the whole lie thing. Well, I mean, for um, me, I, I can't, I, I personally can't speak directly, you know, about Nazism as much just because I've, I've never lived in Germany. Um, I don't, I, I have studied, you know, Nazi, Nazism and I have studied about Hitler. I have studied about the rise of the Third Reich and, and the idea of the master race, especially as it pertains to Aryanism and the influence over Iran. But I can speak to the rise of communism. And when I see the rise of yeah. communism, and especially with what we're seeing in the United States right now, I think that there's something really important for Christians to know. And, and, and you know, even though I'm not a professional in Nazism, I think that there are similarities between Nazism and communism. I know that a lot of people in most schools of thought will tell you that Nazism is extreme right wing and that communism is extreme left wing. That is a false uh, 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 argument uh, because if you look at Nazism, they actually, it was state owned production. It was absolute control. It was a party that, I mean, so when you start looking at, you know, the state taking over businesses, when you start looking at the state mm -hmm. taking over companies, um, when you start seeing the social socialization of everything from medicine to payroll to unions, uh, communism rose from student unions and labor unions. Uh, Nazism rose yep. from student unions and labor unions. And but I mm -hmm. so I the, what I'm about to say about communism, I think, can also relate to. Nazism, uh, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong on any of this, Scott, where, you know, it's just two guys talking. But one of the things that I have seen is that in both instances, especially when I look at the history of China, their grievances were legitimate. They, they took a legitimate grievance, a legitimate problem with society. And then use that as the platform for their impassioned speeches and leadership. So in Great. China, when they talked about women being uh, cast down in society in China, they were absolutely right. Women were forced to have bound feet. Bound feet is this... A barbaric practice that takes place with young girls at a very young age where the Chinese would take uh, a really strong uh, wrapping like a like a, a type of cloth uh, that was extremely sturdy almost like a cast type of uh, cloth and they would wrap it tightly around young girls feet when they were just like a, a less than a year old and as the girls grew their feet were not were restricted, so they weren't allowed to grow. So you're talking about the, the the crushing of bones, and when you would unwrap these women's feet, like before their marriage, the mother-in-law of the bride to be would do an inspection of the bride's feet, and if they weren't wrapped, she would not be considered to be worthy to go into the marriage. And so you would unwrap them, and when you unwrap them, you're talking about pus and fungus that was inside of these wrappings because the foot was never allowed room to breathe because if you allowed it to breathe uh, of course the, the the body would immediately try to go into birth or birth growth and try to grow that foot and so these women were forced to walk basically on these stubs um, they weren't allowed to own property they were treated uh, like cattle 
really, really bad. When you look at the minorities, most people don't know that you know, most of China is made up of minorities. You have the Han Chinese, which is the main controlling people group of China. That's Eastern China. But the majority of China, the China's bigger than the United States. Chinese, most Chinese don't look Chinese. When you start moving into Western China, you move into completely different cultures, languages, history, people groups. The languages are so different from Chinese that there's no parallel between the two at all. There's no cross-communication, even borrowed words. And so you have these minority groups that, that were, uh, came under the oppression of the Han Chinese that were in charge. So there were legitimate concerns. Just as, just as I believe there are legitimate concerns of racism in America. There are legitimate concerns of people suffering because they are a minority. There are legitimate concerns that Christians need to address, that churches need to preach about, that we as believers need to be able to love our brother and sister and be a light to our community. So when we see groups in America rising up right now and, and protesting, they are protesting because they have a legitimate concern. They have a legitimate problem. They have a legitimate hurt and pain. And as Christians, I think that we need to be aware of that concern and be compassionate about that, that, th th that concern. I see somebody that is writing on here uh, that is saying, uh, liars, every phrase is a lie. I would love for you to share a little bit more. How do you think that we are lying or every phrase that we have right now is a lie? I would love for you to elaborate more on that. Uh, would it would love to even do a podcast with you if you think that we're lying to listen to what you have to say about how you think that we're lying. But when it comes to what we are seeing right now uh, in the U.S., they start in the same way that we see it in communism. There was a legitimate concern that went unaddressed and you had a group of people and in this case the communist party eventually becoming the red guards that policed their own communities that took this injustice and used it as a platform to mobilize themselves into power and when they got into power the pain that they inflicted on everybody was endless Still carries on to today. Let me let me just share one thing. Uh, on Saturday, when I was um, uh, talking together with uh, Bishop Williams, um, he said something. You know, we started to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, have Have you heard of uh, brother? Have you heard of uh, John Piper? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so. Um, when, when, when you, John Piper is one of my heroes. I absolutely love his teachings. I think that he does best when he is in a forum where he's answering questions. I mean, he's an amazing preacher as well, and I love to hear him preach and teach. But somebody asked him, what can we learn about Black Lives, or from Black Lives Matter? That you can find this on YouTube. Um, I'm going to post the link. For those of you that listen to this podcast later, you will not be able to find this link. But I'm going to post it for those that are listening live right now um, about 
this, the, 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 the Black Lives Matter, because that was something that we started to talk about. We're starting to see that right now rise up, especially, Scott, like you were talking about as you see the employment of communist tactics in Western culture right now. Um, with Black Lives Matter, one of the things that they have is a legitimate, a legitimate grievance, and so somebody came to John Piper and they asked, uh, you know, what can we learn from Black Lives Matter? Please tell me, uh, for those of you that are listening live, I hope you can hear this. I'm going to try to play this file. I hope you can hear it. Let's, uh, let, me, let me go ahead and push play. Were you able to hear that? Uh, for those of you that no, are listening live. Nothing. Oh, there was nothing. Okay. All right. So it looks like I will not be able. Okay. So most people said that they were not able to hear that. Um, that is probably because of the software that I'm using. It may not be able to share these audio files unless I download them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the things that we have right now is that... Um, uh, I can't play certain audio vi videos, uh, th which, which breaks my heart. Uh, but what he says is that when you look at Black Lives Matter, this is according to uh, Pastor uh, John Piper. So John Piper says, when you look at Black Lives Matter, you have to look at the three main parts. The first part is uh, the slogan, the truth of the slogan. The second part is the organization. And the third part is how it is manifested. And I think that most Christians identify with the slogan. When they hear Black Lives Matter, right? They, they have compassion and love and they want to reach out to those that are feeling downtrodden in our society. That's how, that's how I think Christ would want us to be. But when we look at the organization, the organization says something completely different. And so what we see with the organization is that the organization is very much in line with this person. There's a person right now that is writing. You can't see them. They are quoting on here. Uh, their name is Avil. I think that that's their name. And basically what they have said is down with capitalism in the police state, down with technological fascism and uh, corporatocracy, down with the banks and the debt economy, down with the media empire of lies. People never have rights in capitalism. It's fake. Capitalism is not a democracy, but slavery. This is the same view as Black Lives Matter. The exact same views. What we hear this person that's writing to us right now, Avil. Um, the, the, the views of Black Lives Matter is that capitalism is bad. It's evil that the patriarch society has brought only bad things. So to get rid of the patriarch society, we need to remove fathers from the home. Uh, if you're not familiar with Black Lives Matter, it's actually started by three uh, lesbian women who are very much in, uh, uh, want to, to push the LBGT community. You can go to their website. I, I encourage you to go to the website of Black Lives Matter. A lot of people have been using the hashtag for Black Lives Matter, especially pastors, churches, other Christians that I'm friends with on social media, they've been using the hashtag Black Lives Matter because they connect with the sentiment, not really understanding 
some of them maybe, I'm assuming, that many of them do not understand the organization. And the organization does not try to hide what I'm trying. I'm not sharing with you conspiracy uh, information right now. It was started by three women who all three of them don't believe and, and they put it in, they, they don't say his story, they say her story. So in their history section, which they call their her, her story section, um, they say that uh, we need to get rid of the, the Western idea of families as a family unit, that fathers have no place uh, in the home, that they need to be removed from the home, and that it is social communities that raise children. This is a direct attack on families. This is exactly what we see as well in communist China. China came in and, and, and became a mediator between who could get married, who could not, who could have children, who could not, how many children you could have, how many children you could not have. All of these things were absolutely chosen by the Communist Party. And anybody that has lived in communism, as I have for most of my life, I've spent more of my life living in communist countries than I've lived outside of communist country. One of the things that I understand about communism is that you lose the power to make your own choices. And this is what the enemy wants. This is why they move in. If you've ever got, if you've ever had the chance to read uh, a couple of books that I've written with the biographies of the most well-known senior pastors in the world today, one of them is um, is Pastor Shin. Uh, we wrote a book about his life called "Kidnapped by a Cult." It's a it's a horrible story about how he was kidnapped by a cult and tor- tortured for quite a, uh, a, an extended amount of time to get him to convert. But he talks about growing up in the Cultural Revolution inside of China. Uh, when I write w- with, together with um, Pastor Zhang Rongliang, one of my very close friends, I spent two years with him writing his story, staying in hotels together with him, going until late in the evening, him sharing these stories. And what you find is that in the beginning stages, when Mao Zedong and the Red Army took power, the, f- the first thing that they wanted to do is get rid of history. And I didn't understand until later why they wanted to get rid of history. They wanted to get rid of, that's why they call it the four olds. And we see the same thing today in the U.S. If, if you look at the groups that are supporting uh, the Black Lives Matter, one of them that's very well known is called the Black Hammer. The Black Hammer, they, they um, are, you can find them on YouTube doing chants in the street calling for revolution as this only solution. They called it revolution is the solution, not voting. So they believe that the time for voting is over. That everybody had their chance to get it right. They keep screwing it up. And the only way to do this is for these groups to take power. And so in Minneapolis, uh, along with Black Lives Matter, you had a group that's called the Black Hammer. And they came out and they have also on their own website, you can find this, they have the four, they have the four goals. Very much like the, the, the olds that I was talking about earlier that the initial communists wanted to get rid of. The old ways, the old teachings. And that's why they went in and they took over hospitals so that everybody could get free health care. They took over the, the doctors and they forced the doctors to go into the villages and serve people for free. That was called barefoot doctors. And then they took over um, the churches and made them into administrative buildings. And we're seeing that now today in China, at least in the last 
two weeks, we've seen over 40 churches that were official churches that were taken over because there's this new rise of the communist ideas inside of China. They're renewing these ideas. It took capitalism to save communism inside of China. But now that they've had this power and wealth, they're moving backwards. And that's why we're seeing so many freedoms ripped from the people inside of China. And one of the things that we noticed, so I just wrote a book called um, uh, Back to Jerusalem, and it talks about the end time return of Christ and how the Back to Jerusalem vision points us with certain markers along the way that are biblical about the return of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we notice is that the Jesus family, which is where they were the first ones with this Back to Jerusalem vision back in the 1920s, the Jesus family supported the rise of communism. Because it seemed so Christian. People didn't really know much about communism at the time. It just sounded good, right? I mean, everybody's equal, right? Everybody deserves equal pay for equal labor, right? I mean, who would disagree with that? Everybody deserves access to uh, medical care, right? Everybody deserves a job that pays, whether you work as a doctor or you work as a street sweeper. Why doesn't everybody get paid the same? And the Jesus family was all about this because what the Jesus family did inside of China is they sold everything to come and live in this commune, which is in Shandong province, which is northeastern part of China. And in Shandong province, the Jesus family sold everything and they lived in this community. And communism kind of seemed like an extension of that idea. And one of the things that we see is that uh, with the Jesus family, they helped in many ways, they, 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 they were not always happy with one another because the, the communists that were on the rise inside of China, they were not Christian. In fact, they despised all religion. That was a part of the old teaching. You had to get rid of all religion. But they were willing to tolerate the Christians as long as the Christians helped them to achieve power. Once they got to power, the Christians became target number one. And the Jesus family, I, so I, I met with, the, I met with the, uh, the daughter of the founder of the Jesus family, Pastor Jean, his granddaughter. And I remember her telling me about her father and her grandfather, both pastors in communist China, being arrested by the Red Guards, students that were enforcing what they considered to be moral law. And they dragged both Pastor Jean and his son to a gulag, and they were never heard from again. They were killed in prison. What was their crime? They were Christians. And so when we align ourselves with groups like Black Lives Matter, now the slogan has truth, but the organization is completely against all ideas. I'm not saying that their ideology is against the Christian teachings. I'm saying they are against Christian teachings. One of the things that separates them from, because a lot of people will say, oh, this is kind of like the, the new civil rights movement. No, they actually remove themselves and make themselves distinct from the civil rights movement. Why? Because the civil rights movement connected with the church. They, that's why you don't see Al Sharp, the Reverend Al Sharpton uh, speaking or Jesse Jackson speaking at these events. You don't, see, um, uh, them, you don't see Black Lives Matter necessarily promoting the teachings of 
Dr. Martin Luther King. Why? Because he was a preacher. And, and his idea of equality came from his convictions that were taught from the Bible. And so when we look at um, Black Lives Matter, they actually focus on someone else, not Martin Luther King, but a woman by the name of Asada Shakur. She was a member of the Black Panthers that killed a Jersey cop. And she believed that police were the enforcement of this evil capitalistic regime and they needed to be killed. She escaped to Cuba and she was one of the people that were pushing for the black liberation theology. And if you've never heard of black liberation theology, basically it was the communist answer to strong Catholicism in South America. They could not get the South Americans to adopt communism because they couldn't get them to adopt atheism. So they brought in something that they called uh, liberation theology. And with mm-hmm. liberation theology, the teachings from liberation theology basically remove Christ from the idea of being equal. And this is where we get the, the terms like social justice. Uh, we start What we try to do oftentimes as Christians is to appease the rest of the world by removing, by sanitizing our language to be free from Christ because we think that we will be more broad in our coverage. We will appeal to more people. We will offend less people. But let me make this extremely clear. I've seen this play over and over again in the history of communism. When you remove Christ, you remove the idea of justice. When you remove Christ, you remove the idea of equality. When you remove Christ, you remove the idea of love. If you think that you, communism is almost this this secular attempt to achieve uh, equality, um, uh, equal distribution, to achieve love and respect and all of these other things through earthly means, through our own strength. It's the Tower of Babel. It doesn't work. It will fail every time. Social justice doesn't exist. Justice does not need a a descriptive word attached to it. You don't need to say racial justice, economic justice, social justice. In Christ, there is justice. And justice doesn't need explanation. It is true against the scales of the Holy Word that weigh evil and good. And on the good side, we have the blood of Christ that makes us all equally worthy of salvation if we ask for Him to come and live with us. But we all equally suffer damnation in rejecting him and his teachings. Does that make sense, brother? Yeah, um, absolutely. In, I, I, I'm sorry way, I went on a little bit of a rant there, uh, but I just I wanted to get yeah, through that. Well, I squeezed in a morning shower, some bacon and eggs, so it was great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, the same things you're talking about in, in communist China, it's duplicate in Russia, too. You know, starting in the, the Great Revolution in 1917. And it was, um, yeah, the revolution. But then Lenin and his um, Red Guards, they took over the government quickly. And it was a bloodless coup. Um, yeah, it was funny because they did the exact same thing as what you're saying. By the way, initially they did see an improvement because prior to that, for centuries, Russia was ruled by czars. 
and they weren't, you know, they were, they were the elite and, and they didn't really care for the pheasants and the, the regular people. But, um, although, um, after the, the great revolution in 1917, um, they did enjoy a brief period of life improvement, but, um, <laughs> in, by the time of 1921, so that's four years later, they suffered a great uh, famine, which killed estimated 5 million Russians. And that was under Lenin's, um, new state owned economy. And that included both industry and agricultural output. It, uh, plummeted. So, it resulted in the death of five million uh, Russians. Oh yeah, we see, we see it every single time. Um, I have I, just for a second. Um, I have I think a way that we can listen to this video. I'm going to just try it one more time. You tell me if you can hear this um, or not, brother. I'm going to put this on full sound. Okay. And um, uh, those of you that are listening, that are writing in, please let me know if you can hear this or not. Scott, can you hear that at all? No, sir. No, you cannot. All right. So I, I just wanted to try it one more time just to give it uh, another chance because um, I really wanted everybody to hear the teachings of John Piper as he tries to lay out the Black Lives Matter uh, debate, um, which I think is and it's done really, really well as well through Bishop Williams. Because the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because when we, uh, thank you so much, Marissa, that, uh, that let me know that you are not able to hear that. I really appreciate that. We've had one person that has been writing a lot about uh, capitalism being the great Satan, being evil and deception. Uh, however, unfortunately, uh, I, would love, I would actually love to be able to talk with him. Avil, if there's a way that we can chat on Skype or something like that, I would love to, love to talk. So um, one of the reasons I wanted to share this is because if you look at the history of Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong started off as a young, zealous individual that went about through the universities as well as through the unions. And he dispersed information into these groups and arranged riots. And within those riots, he would cause a stir that would allow him to gain more of a foothold with the with the passion that is that is bottled up in the young people. And I, I really do believe that on our universities today, which was the main breeding ground for communism during communist China, the professors, the, the teachers, and people that were in support of Mao Zedong at that time, they were being supported by Russia. Russia was financially uh, putting in, uh, resources into this movement so that it would grow. But here's what I wanted to point out that these groups focused on the passion of aimless young people. We, I believe, are all created with purpose. And nobody wants to embrace their purpose, I believe, more than young people that are just full of energy and idealism, and they are ready. They're so ready. But so often, the church has not really given them purpose. You know, the mm. idea of just attending a service is not enough. The idea of becoming a good person is not enough. We have, we have to, I believe, do two things as the church. And that is to allow our young people to embrace their calling and then give them the mission field of completing the Great Commission. 
And I believe in, in that way, we will see a new generation embrace their purpose. But without purpose, they become passionate for things that are not their purpose. And that's when you get, I mean, look, when you look at the looters, I mean, uh, Scott, how many, how many 40, 50 year old looters would you say that you've seen, you know, on TV destroying, um, uh, stores and businesses and statues and, and, and monuments? You don't, <laughs> you <laughs> don't. Too many. It's usually, it's just the young people that are this bottled up passion. They are very passionate. They don't even know what they're passionate about. That's where us as an older generation, did I say us? I didn't mean us. <laughs> I'm not in the older generation. I don't want to say I'm in the older generation. But that's where us in the older generation have to give that passion to our younger generation. We have to give them that goal. Well, we don't give them passion. They already have the passion. But we have to give them the goals. One, I, I want to go back. I'm sorry I got... Um, I got, uh, as we were going through, there is a, I just wanted to point out really quick. There's a guy that wrote in and he said this, uh, his name is Steve. And while we were doing this podcast together, he says, this was a very interesting article about the cultural revolution, talking about the, the what I had just read earlier. I'm aware of what is behind the black lives movement, but at the same time, I understand the rage and the anger that fuels these movements. I grew up in the 50s and the 60s. I watched history unfold and I'm watching it repeat. I am completely lost in our political system. It's a giant house of cards. As Americans, what do we do? I see young people rushing into movements unaware of history. I see old people clinging to values that no longer define us with deaf ears to the cries of justice. What do we do? Our churches, for the most part, are just walled facilities with nothing of relevance going on inside, whitewashed tombs. What do we do? It feels like a tidal wave about to wash over us. I'm not sure if I trust our president anymore either. It feels like religious leaders with pockets full of money are controlling him. What do we do? I thought that that was a really good question because one of the things that I think that we have to do in situations like this is turn our focus on Christ. Do not get distracted by what's happening in the world. Our young people, if they had a purpose, they would put their passion into the purpose. I'm telling you this right now. I really do believe this. I think our young people want to die for something they believe in. I think that there was a time in many of our lives as Christians where we wanted to die for something that we believe in. And so when they hear something that's true, like Black Lives Matter, they're like, heck yeah, Black Lives Matter. I want to fight for that because I believe that racial injustice is wrong. And I'm willing to go to the streets and give my life if necessary for racial equality in our country. And that's an amazing that is at the base of the word of God. However, when we align ourselves with groups that do not want the will of God to be carried out, in fact, they want the opposite, then I think we walk in very dangerous area. What say Amen. you, Scott? Yeah, it's funny because I'm, I'm having a little um, mini personal struggle with with a uh, Christian group that I'm affiliated with here locally. And, um, but it's pretty much the leadership is younger millennials. So, <laughs> so me being, I too grew up, um, I was, I grew up in the sixties, seventies. And I remember 
you know, all the, the race riots and Watts riots and, and the cultural revolution that went on. And, um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause now I, I actually, even my own children are millennials. I can see how society has, um, shaped their minds and their thoughts and their ideologies. And, and I'm constantly, um, just trying to, you know, remind them of history. I'm a, I'm a big student of history. I'm certainly a novice, but traveling um, abroad to different parts of the world um, and, and speaking with and seeing the effects of not just socialism, but also, uh, you, you know, because in the Mideast, they're not, they're not necessarily socialists as they think because they're more uh, autocratic um, and, um, you know, they tend to have um, basically tyrants in charge one, you know, so, but what's funny is there's certainly elements of socialism, you know, the, the media, um, censorship and, and what they teach the, the children in schools and things like that. And the fact that you do not have freedom of speech over there, you know, if you, if you're just paying, uh, even a little bit of attention, to what's going on in Turkey, um, yeah, they are, they are throwing out, um, legally and legit, elected officials in the Kurdish regions of Turkey and replacing them with the people they want in there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a gross violation of, of, uh, basic, uh, civil rights. Um, so it's, it's not just a communist thing or, or past Nazis. It's, it's the same old thing. And, um, I totally agree, brother, you know, a couple, uh, we're, it's like you read my mind. A couple of things is, um, Satan is the father of all lies, and he is he is the great deceiver. And so um, the origin of lies is from him, where God is the very, um, he is the truth. So um, <clears throat> we need to cling to that. And I think my caution to the church throughout the whole world is, yes, be very, very careful who you associate with in regards to these, these uh, even, um, you know, seemingly well-intentioned um, uh, movements or whatever to correct injustices. God is certainly um, very, very concerned about injustices. However, we need to keep Christ in our, our focus upon him. Otherwise, we will quickly get drawn into something we're going to regret. And um, again, you know, Satan is the great deceiver, so he makes things look like they're a good godly thing and they're not. So, um, yeah, and you see this repeatedly, like you mentioned, you know, about the, the church and uh, the Jesus family in China. Um, but anyway, absolutely about the youth in our churches. They are, they're dropping off in flies. Very few, um, yeah, stick around after they graduate from high school. And it's really super sad. But I agree, brother. You and I grew up. We both served in the military. We would we grew up. Um, I know I certainly grew up on the um, being a baby, last of the baby boomers. Um, we came off of World War II, and um, yeah, it was all about America and that um, um, that we are um, really a nation of of righteous people. We were, but um, I want to say something though, brother, and all my people coming here from other countries. We recently, last week, uh, just last week, had a conversation with a very, very dear uh, family that's uh, we've known for three years now, and they come from a Mideast country, and they were just saying, the people here in America. Um, I'm not saying like the death of uh, Mr. Floyd; that was just totally wrong, but I'm just saying 
as far as, you know, uh, poverty or anything like that. But here in America, you do have freedom of speech. They were telling us, they were just amazed that the people complained because where they came from, there was no freedom of speech. They were afraid literally to whisper because they were told by the government there, uh, the country you're in, that, that the government had listening devices. So even if you whispered, people, family members would turn each other into the government. And so you even had to be careful. Uh, um, if You couldn't even throw a newspaper away if it had a picture of their leader. It was just that level of, of um, no freedom and fear. They would be pulled over by the, the police or, or militias all the time, and, and they were constantly afraid of being killed or, or put in prison. And um, so they were just telling us last week how, man, we've got it great here. The freedom of speech, which is one of our basic uh, constitutional rights. And uh, what's interesting, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go on my soapbox for a minute, is, you know, it's not so much that it's been done in the government, although there's been attempts. It's more through the media and, again, this this um, constantly um, uh, propagating of, it, of the lie of, 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 uh, of, especially the Christians here in the United States, how we've been demonized, and how the left in particular, um, they, they, they say they have the truth and they're righteous and all that stuff, yet when it comes to Christians, we can't say anything. Um, for example, if, if you truly believe the Bible and, and um, you know, when it comes to some sensitive issues, say it's homosexuality, it's considered hate speech. I know countries like Canada, Australia, maybe England, you can't say those things from the pulpit. So it's considered hate speech. So anytime, uh, and it's mostly Christian views that come from the Bible, um, differ from the left, it's, it's considered hate speech and we're forbidden to even say it. And I look at how social media like YouTube in particular are censoring a lot of Christians. Um, I don't know if you're, I hope it's okay to plug David Wood, but we love him and his apologetic 17, but, but he was recently censored for a week, punished by YouTube for simply talking about um, the statistics of persecution of Christians worldwide. And that was considered... Uh, hate speech and violated their rules and it's crazy but if we say the same thing about black lives or the muslims or the hindus or or any it's okay but god forbid we talk about christians being persecuted and killed throughout the world and he was just simply sharing um the latest statistics from the open doors people and he got um he got censored and he was cut off uh, from youtube for a week and he now has his first strike. You get three strikes, and you're off for good. So it's just interesting how it's not necessarily the government, but it's the, the especially the media um, and political leaders are just, yeah, they forbid, really, free speech. And this is what you see, whether it's communism, Nazism, um, most Islamic-run uh, nations, uh, if not all that I'm aware of, and I've lived in, um, and visited, lived in one and lived in or visited several others, it's, it's all the same thing. There is no freedom of speech. And when you take away that free will um, and free choice and be able to express yourself, um, yeah, it, it just is the end of a society. And you know what hit me, too, recently? Um, it was just the fact that when Pilate was questioning Jesus, and Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? 
think that's such a great question. The again, this has been a ploy of the of the socialists, the communists, that that you not only remove God, um, but you take away. Uh, truth has now become relative. It's your truth, and where the gospel in the 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 book called the Bible has truth. In matter of fact, the person of Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And and it's just so powerful how they have removed from our schools and the thoughts of our youth that there is no longer absolute truths, aside from science. But anyway, it's it's one. No, of, one of not not even aside science. So, science. Science is science is not a a yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with what you're saying, but that is also you know that is not a sacrificial cow in and uh, with with people either. The science only goes as far as what they want to prove. So for instance, oh, when you when you start talking about more than two genders, all of a sudden the science no longer matters. Oh then, yeah, right. Then, right. Then you start science moving. only matters when you, Exactly. Science only matters when you want to prove your or support your theory, whatever, yes. your yep. truth. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. It's it's funny, brother, how in the Bible um so many things were written that have today as we speak, even that science has, has proven to be right, but the Bible declared it thousands of years ago. Um, I want to share a quote from a guy named Hans Poli because it's so powerful. He was a Dutch uh, resistance uh, Christian man. Um, he actually uh, was affiliated with Corrie ten Boom. She's very famous, at least to Christians. But um, he he's a just a wonderful um, example of, a Christian living under such tough um, circumstances. But this is powerful. His quote is, as the will of the student goes, so goes the will of the nation. As the will of the student goes, so goes the will of the nation. Mm. And it's funny how, at least in my lifetime, since the 60s counter-cultural revolution, and it's taken over our universities and now our, our, um, our primary schools and secondary schools. It, it's just crazy. And now that's why we see um, the youth just falling into these um, life patterns and lifestyles. And like say, joining, you, you see them joining Black Lives Matter, although they don't know what it means. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so powerful though. And that again is just a method of uh, communism and socialism. So yeah, and, and you know, when, when people talk about forms of government, I know that it's very easy to cling to, you know, the government form where you're at to be, you know, you might feel that uh, democracy is the best form of government. You might feel that a republic is the best form of government. Uh, you, you might feel that anarchy is the best form of government. I don't know. I don't know what kind of people are listening. Let me let me just... Um, qualify what Scott and I are talking about really quick because I, I think that if it comes down to the nitty-gritty, we don't support any government system. We support Christ being exalted and His name being spread. Now, we like Amen. living <laughs> in uh, in a society where we have freedom of speech. We like living in a society where we have freedom of religion. The, the reason why I believe that way is because I I feel that if God did not force you to believe in Him, who am I to support a government system that would force you to believe in him? 
I, I, the, the, the idea of free will to be able to uh, choose to serve God is something that he gave us from the very beginning. That we could choose to uh, follow him or we could choose to deny him. It's our choice. But there, is, there are consequences for every choice that we make. You just said that Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He's not a way. He is the way. He is the embodiment of the way. He is the noun of the way. He is the truth. There is no my truth. There's his truth. All truth is measured on him. Whether it's, if it's a true or it's a lie is measured against God. When, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's why I think the way that John starts off so, his book, his, his gospel is so powerful. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This idea of logos, this idea of, the, uh, of God being the Word, is something that was completely different in the idea of Greek thought. That this truth was, had a, a body. It was embodied. The, the, I, when the Bible says that God is not man, that he can tell a lie. I don't know if God ever told a lie or not. I do know that when he says it, it becomes true. <laughs> if it wasn't true before he said it, it's true after he says it. Why? Because his words create. God's words create. When he created the universe, he spoke into the universe and it was created. So I don't put my hopes into any earthly nation. I don't put my hopes into any earthly mechanism. I don't put my hopes into any earthly political strategy. I believe that everything, and this is why, I, you know, when I see racism, I, I hurt, I'm hurt. When I see people uh, being crushed in society, I feel the, the, the empathy and the pain and the sorrow that my brothers and sisters have. Why? Because it is a constant reminder. The suffering, the misery, the hardship is a constant reminder that this world is not our home. This world mm. is not our final destination. My citizenship is not in an earthly passport. But I take refuge in the idea that one day my citizenship will allow me to be with my father forever. And I, one, one, I, I heard it said one time that um, the, the, <clears throat> the way that we can, we, we can look at our relationship with Christ when it, as it pertains to eternity and the more we cling to him the less we have as a desire to be a part of this world and um one one of the things that i that i remember him saying is that can you imagine everything that you love in this world your family all of the foods all of the things that you enjoy all of the things that you want to enjoy on the daily basis imagine all of those things being in heaven and Christ is not, would you be okay with that? Because if your answer is honestly, deeply, somewhere in places you don't talk about with family and friends, if your answer is, yes, I would be happy in that environment without Christ, then my brother, my sister, you have not truly fallen in love with him. 
Yeah. I, ha I have a, I have a brother or I have somebody on here right now that is saying that everything I'm saying is fake, that the only people that will get into heaven are those that fulfill the law, those who walk in the law. I have very sad information for you. For those of you that say, for, so I've got somebody on here that's just going crazy on how everything that we're saying is a lie and that this, you know, we can only be saved through the law. The challenge that we have with the law, I think Ravi Zacharias said it best. The law is a mirror. It tells me the way I look. It is a reflection of my sin. It tells me the sin that I have in my life, but it doesn't save me. I cannot be saved through the law. And in fact, you, it, the, the law cannot be practiced in its entirety. There's nobody alive. Even the most Orthodox Jews cannot follow the law. Why? Because the law incorporates the practice of sacrifice in the temple and the temple doesn't exist. Why? Because the temple is now us. Christ now, God himself, creator of all the earth, now lives in us. And if we deny him, of course, we deny everything that he is. We deny the truth. We deny justice. We deny love. We deny peace. Everything that God mm -hmm. says that he is, everything that Jesus says that I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If I deny him, I deny the way. I deny the truth. I deny life. Jesus said, I am love. If, if so if, if, if or, or it was written about Jesus that he is love. Brethren, let us love one another. For those that don't love, don't know uh, God, because God is love. God is love, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. If we deny God, if we deny Christ, we deny love. And how? On God's green earth, are we ever going to love our brother and look past race, look past social economic status, look past uh, all of the things that divide us in this world? How in the world can I look past those things if I don't have love, I can't. And I cannot have love without Christ. Brother, it was so great to have you here. It was so great to have you on our podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for just, you know, being a part of this kind of uh, coffee table discussion. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I wish we had uh, 20 more hours because there's so much to talk about. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a delight. Um, yeah. And can I just share one thing that, yeah, please go ahead. Book. It's very short. Yep. Closing. This again goes back to, uh, uh, Germany and when it was under the Nazi rule and, and, uh, the, the, um, genocide of not just 6 million Jews, but, uh, millions of others was going on. It, uh, this is a true story. And it was, um, a church that was near some railroad tracks um, these this railroad track uh, or the railroad would carry um, just thousands, tens of thousands of Jewish people and others to the death camps. It's a very short reading. An eyewitness stated, we heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we felt, what could anyone do to stop it? Each Sunday morning, we would hear the train whistle blowing in the distance, then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We decided to hear the 
we dreaded to hear the sounds of these wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and we heard the whistle blow. When we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and no one talks about it now, but I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. Yeah, it. I read that. And it's it's uh it really just to me just speaks volumes about the condition of the church, um, especially here in the West and in America. And uh, my prayer is that, as you said, brother, we turn to Jesus. He should be our all in all. And when we are passionately in love with Him, and when we reflect upon His grace and mercy that we have received, that we will be motivated. Uh, to go and preach the gospel and to demonstrate God's love in tangible waves wherever he may lead us. So, um, yeah, that's just, that's just my heart, and I want to share that, that, that uh, hopefully we won't be like, uh, well, unfortunately we have become like so many Christians. We just turn up the volume of our hymns and we praise the Lord while ignoring the fact that uh, tens of thousands of people are on their way to death. Our biggest concern isn't the death of a human being. It should be their eternal destiny and whether they will be uh, forever in the presence of God Almighty, the creator of everything in heaven, or they will be um, in the great abyss called hell apart from Christ in eternal suffering. So I hope that Christians will focus on that while not ignoring the, the needs that are before us, um, but most of all, we will live and love uh, Christ and live for him no matter what it takes and no matter what the cost is. Amen, brother. Amen. And for those that are just, you're watching the news, if, if you're becoming depressed, if you're feeling hopeless, if you feel like, I just, I can't take it anymore! I know how you feel, trust me. But <laughs> there is hope in the Lord. You... As we talk about the rise of communist fractions in the United States, when we talk about the increase of evil in the world, don't be afraid. We're not sharing this stuff to cause you fear. We're sharing this stuff so that you are aware of the uh, mountains around you, but it's not the mountains that we focus on. I look unto the mountains from where my hope comes. My hope is not in the mountains. My hope is that which comes beyond the mountains, Jesus Christ. And we can have faith. Faith without works is dead. We can have faith in Christ, not because of what we see, but because of that which we have hope for in spite of what we see. Around the world, we're seeing turmoil. Satan is roaming about, seeking whom he may devour and destroy. He is a liar, a stealer, a thief, but he is defeated already. His defeat has been promised. So you don't need to be afraid about these things. I'm not sharing. And if you're looking for good news, if you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking for hope, Turn to the Word of God. And more practically, if you're like, okay, well, I do that, but do you, can you recommend me to follow anybody online that can give me help? 
my, my recommendation would be go to IHOP Atlanta. Pastor Billy Humphreys, a good friend of mine, he really focuses on right now what's taking place with race relations. And he is bringing a solution to the community. He's going out with his church and they're marching in the streets, bringing about unity through Christ. He is unashamedly speaking loud, proud, and clear about the good news of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about a secular solution for dialogue and, and talking and trying to, to ask for forgiveness about past sins. No, he is getting on his knees with the community begging for forgiveness before Jesus Christ and bringing about unity through the blood of the cross. And uh, if you're looking for anybody else, I would also highly, highly recommend Bishop Anthony Williams. He's been my pastor and mentor for more than 25 years. He is somebody that I consider to be my father, in the, my spiritual father in the faith. Uh, he is an amazing pastor. He is online every day praying for everybody that will join him. He does a more early morning prayer and that man is consistent and loyal. He is on there every day and he is on there for you. If you want to go on and join him on prayer in prayer and have him pray for you, pray over you. If you're looking for the word of inspiration from wise individuals, those are two people that I would highly recommend. They're people that I'm close to. I know them personally as well as in the ministry. And I know that their words can give you hope and courage. They're men of integrity, men of faith, and followers of, the, of Jesus Christ. Thank you guys so much. And I even want to thank you know, uh, my, <laughs> all, all of the critics uh, that I've had online just going off during this time. Uh, I really appreciate this, uh, Avil. I, brother, I wish I could actually talk with you and hear, make sense of some of this insanity that, you're, that you keep saying that capitalism equals Satanism. But, brother, Scott, <laughs> it was great talking to you. Same to you, brother Eugene. We love you so much and can't wait till the next time we can, uh, you know, be physically together whenever that may be. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, great hearing from you and talking and anytime, Amen. you know, this, you know, we really, um, we're, we're very excited and looking forward to returning to the Mideast to continue work over there because the exciting news, even though we're here in the U.S., we're still uh, ministering from afar in so many different ways. And, um, yeah, and, well, I don't, I know you're closing up, but if I could, I'm sorry, I think this is great. If, do I have permission, a really quick story? Yeah, please. Yeah, it's, it, it, it goes with what's going on. We, we had no intentions. We didn't even know uh, certain issues existed in this country and the Mideast we're working in, but there are, um, 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 literally African, uh, professionally, educated and, and trained uh, ladies that are um, trafficked to um, Mideastern countries to serve um, as um, household slaves. And um, it was just amazing how we happened to live across the street from one of them, and she just loves the Lord. But um, we just prayed with her. She was able to get released um, from her particular situation She's still in country, though. She chose to remain in country to help the others that are still there. And many of them are being sexually abused or physically abused 
um, being locked in their rooms without food or water. And um, we've, we've helped actually one girl return to her native land and others to escape um, their particular situations there. So I just wanted to let the people know that, yeah, these are, these are African ladies and um, it's so cool um, to be part of that. And yet that's something we never um, knew existed or planned on being part of. So as a, as a faithful follower of Christ, again, we just want to obey the father in, and help anybody anywhere. And it's so exciting that, um, yeah, the Lord cares for people all over and he loves them dearly. So as you said, bro, come taste the Lord. He's good, man. Amen. And, um, there's nothing else I want to do. And, and, and spot on about our youth, man. They need it. They do. We do. All, all Christians are called to die to ourselves. Yes. But Christ gives life to us, and in Him we, we live and we serve Him. So I think it's the most exciting life you can have. And um, so I say, come along, folks. Check it out. Uh, don't, don't believe the lies, but check it out. So Amen. keep those uh, mess texts and stuff coming to, to Brother uh, Eugene and... <laughs> It's good stuff. God God bless you. I certainly appreciate time with you today. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Let's do it again, brother. Bless you. Bye. Sounds great. Okay. And uh, now I have, basically, I'm, I'm going to leave the line open for a, a couple more minutes here. Um, after I've signed off with Scott, uh, I've, I've had, we, during this entire time, we've actually had someone that has, um, you know, just been going off. Uh, I'm actually giving them a chance to call right now. They can call us. You can call us. If you have a question, you're more than, than um, uh, welcome to give us a phone call. We would love to hear from you. I'm going to stay open just for a couple more minutes. Uh, for those that had comments that have just been rolling in uh, online as we've been having this topic on live on, on YouTube as well as on our, on our website, if you have not been following us on YouTube, we would love to have you on there. Uh, like I said, we try to put up a video about once uh, a week, several times a week, usually now, including our podcast that we also put in video form. You can also find our podcasts on at backtojerusalem.com. There, if you like this podcast, you want to hear some of our earlier podcasts that we do not put online, you can do that. Um, if you go to our website, you can see that we are involved in daily activities in different countries around the world. Uh, I, we would love to have you join us as a prayer partner. You can sign up for our newsletter online. Uh, we would love to add you to our mailing list so that you can see what we are doing in the areas that have not yet been reached by the gospel. The good news is about Back to Jerusalem is that we work in areas where there's not much competition. So we're not, we, we don't really want to compete with anybody and we're not competing with any other ministry. We work beside, um, well, we would work beside ministries, but many of the areas where we choose to work just don't, we don't have a lot of ministries working in those areas. So places like North Korea, the area, at least the area where we're at, we feel like we're kind of working alone. In the area where we're working at, Sudan and Somalia, we feel like we're kind of, you know, there in that area, not really with a lot of other people around us. It's great when we have other brothers and sisters that we're able to serve together with. Iran, uh, we don't have a lot of people uh, working together with us in Iran. When I say a lot of people, I'm excluding the national church. 
the, the national church that we were working with in places like Iran, in places like North Korea, we have several people that are, were able to serve beside, and that is exciting. But the good thing is, is that we're not really, <laughs> we're going to the areas where we feel that there's no other laborers. We specifically try to target areas where there's no other laborers. So um, I'm, I'm leaving this podcast open just for a little bit longer um, because I wanted Avil to, to give us a phone call. He's been just going off the entire time. Kind of, I feel bad for other people that have been following us online because this guy has just been talking about the law and that we're liars and that we're lying. Dude, I'll give you a platform. Share your grievance. I love it because you're not the only one, right? There's other people that disagree with what we say at Back to Jerusalem. Would love to hear your complaints and your gripes and why we are going to hell because you seem pretty concerned with our salvation. You absolutely feel that we are not uh, being genuine or truthful. We're being disingenuous. So uh, I I want to just uh, allow you some time, uh, Avial. Please call. Uh, our phone number is here. It's we are one seven zero three three four eight seven seven five six. The line is being left open just for you, just for you. Uh, you are, have been quite brave uh, in the comment section, and uh, now we are giving you a chance to make your voice known. To go ahead and air out your grievance for those that will be listening to this podcast long after. This YouTube clip is done and put into the files. So uh, as a you don't you no longer are restricted to a keyboard. I'm certain you can probably speak more words per minute than you can type, and your audience will be larger. So if you like, as you said, you are the bearer of truth, and we will not listen to the truth. Well, I'm willing to listen to what you have to say. I, I don't know if I want to go as far as saying that it's a truth because I haven't heard it yet. So please come online, share with us your thoughts. If you feel that we are liars, if you feel that we are going to hell, we're ready. Uh, brother, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. If you love me, keep me from going to hell by sharing the truth that you have for me. If you don't love me, <laughs> then tell me how much I'm going to suffer in hell. I'm ready to learn and listen. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I've been told to say, baby, come back. <laughs> I, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket with a cover on it, unfortunately. Singing is not my blessing. Uh, it's not anything that um, uh, <laughs> I think that anytime anybody hears me sing, they're like, brother, you are definitely called to preach. Anyway. I want to thank all of you uh, supporters uh, for Back to Jerusalem. I want to thank you for your time, for downloading this. I pray that this was something that was a, a blessing to you. And I pray that it doesn't get you down, but it gives you hope and encouragement. Because that's what we have through Christ. I want to thank you guys for standing beside us in the trenches with us praying for us. We're a small organization. We're personal. We believe in making friendships that last a lifetime and serving in the field with one another. We appreciate each and every one of you. And I pray that this podcast is as much of a blessing to you as it has been for me. May 
everyone that is listening to this continue to pray for the Back to Jerusalem missionaries that are serving in closed countries. And I pray that this be a podcast that will continue to be a blessing for you. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live from Sweden. God bless you.